It's time for Bob's record collection. Today, we're featuring my interview with Kurt Newman of the Bodines. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. It's uh, good to hear from you and talk to everybody out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's what's funny. I think it was the first time I met you guys was backstage somewhere in 1990 or 91 at the at the Minnesota Zoo. Well, <laughs> which I know Minnesota you're... Zoo, yeah. That was a fun place to play, fun shows. Yeah, yeah. I think it might have been when the Black and White album came out, 1991. Is that about right? Yeah, that's about the right time frame, so that would make sense. Yeah. Um, you were born up in Milwaukee, moved to Waukesha when you were like eight or nine. You know, being in the country gave you that sense of peace, being in the wide open. How did you get introduced to music? You know, was it in high school? Was it grammar school? Like, how'd you get into it? It was grade school. Um, someone asked if if we wanted to take musical lessons, um, we could get out of an hour of class. and. I was a daydreamer kid who could never stay focused on what was going on in class. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately raised my hand and went out and started learning to play the drums and getting out of class. And, and it just stayed that way. Then every time I could take a music course, I would take it in school to, so I didn't have to do the other things. And, and I found that in the music courses, you could have access to the music room all day. So you could wow. basically go and hide out in there <laughs> and just play whatever you wanted to play and stuff. And I, so music was always this big escape for me from everyday life. I was one of those kids who didn't really fit in with all the regular stuff that was going on. And it, I, I somehow loved being able to escape into the music. So it's just stayed that way for me throughout throughout all of this and um, I'm still doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it started off with the drums, but you know, you 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 played more than one instrument. I mean, the guitar, yeah. the keyboards, yeah. you know, it's you're pretty pretty multi-focused on uh, many instruments. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't pick up a guitar until I graduated high school though, and I didn't know what I was going to do with myself after high school and all my friends kind of went off to college and so um I started playing guitar so I could learn to write my own songs and and then a couple of years later I found myself out in Hollywood with T-Bone Burnett recording our first record and I was like wait a minute I'm a drummer how did I what am I doing standing here with a guitar singing songs it makes no sense but it just kept on going and so uh, like I say I, I just I didn't fight it I just stayed with it and here I am since you brought that up what was like working with T-Bone Burnett I mean really from you were just getting started. I mean, as as a band yeah. and everything. Like, how, what was that experience like? It must have blown your head off. It was great. It was the best kind of experience you could hope for as a young band, um, because T Bone loved just that purity, that rawness of music and songwriting, and so we really focused on that. He tried to make that first record really simple to the point I was disappointed with it at first because it would just seem so raw and simple. And I thought you were supposed to make this big, huge production record. And, but in retrospect, that was the perfect thing to do with us is 
to keep us really simple and raw because that's who we were at our core. That's what we were good at doing. And we weren't real sophisticated musicians. You know, we weren't Toto who, you know, were really refined, great music studio musicians. We yeah. weren't that at all. And T-Bone knew how to keep us that. And <clears throat> so it was great. You know, I don't. I remember it was Billboard or Spin Magazine, but very early on, they said you were the best unsigned band. Uh, yeah. And and then there was a bidding war, like who who's going to get the Bodines here? Yeah, which was strange, you know, because when you're in Milwaukee playing local shows, um, you you don't sense that there's any of that. You know, you feel like you're just playing. You want to get people up and dance and maybe meet some girls or something like that. But <laughs> but right. you're not thinking, I wasn't thinking that big. So when that all just kind of happened, it was, it was a mind blow as well because uh, I just wanted to be in a band. I just wanted to play music and that's all I was focused on. Like, you know, who were some of your influences, not only for yourself, but you know, for the sound that you created for the band? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I grew up listening to a lot of Tom Petty records, uh, some Springsteen, a lot of Rolling Stones records and stuff. Um, when I was a drummer, it was kind of different music. I listened to Pink Floyd and Yes and all those kind of more heady art mm -hmm. bands. But mm -hmm. once I started playing guitar, I got far more into the Stones and listening, going back, listening to some Everly Brothers or Chuck Berry and things like that that influenced, I think, some of our earliest songwriting. And uh, it was just that American rock band sound that I really loved. You know, and even like ACDC, I really loved for their rawness and their straightforward kind of rock and roll approached everything it was so those were all big inspirations to me of, of our basic sound yeah and different sounds too which you know you can you formed your own yeah. band out of that but i mean you know there's different things that you like about certain performances certain instruments that you hear with other bands and and yeah. to bring it all together probably was pretty exciting back then for me, I really loved the radio. You know, I didn't, I wasn't a wealthy kid and I wasn't able to go out and buy any record I wanted. But I loved the radio when I was real young. I was the AM radio and then FM came on the scene and, and I really loved that radio as well. And, and listening to all the different music that would come on and the different sounds, I think was a big inspiration for us in the Brodine sound as well, because you, you had all kinds of stuff. You could listen to everything from country to Americana to hard rock, you know, or, and uh, as long as it was a well-written song, I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Early on too, you know, maybe after the first album, Rolling Stone readers named you guys best new American band and you were opening up for U2 and, and Bob Dylan, the pretenders. Uh, how'd yeah. you get hooked up with U2? Like, I know that was like a big, big moment for you guys. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't like opening for acts because we really wanted to play, you know, at least an hour or two of our own music. Mm -hmm. And when an opener, you just don't get much time. And and so the record label and our agent had asked us, like, well, if, if you were going to open for somebody, who would it be? And I said, I don't know, maybe you two or something like that. Or <laughs> And it seemed like a couple of weeks later, there was some offers so i guess you know you must have liked our music enough to allow us to you know do a couple and then we did really well with them and the audience liked us and so i think they were happy to kind of keep us on and we did 30 some shows with them i think that's amazing yeah that is amazing 
What song do you think defined the band in its early days? If you were to pick one, I know there's probably a couple, but if there was one defining song, what would it be? Well, one song would probably be Good Things because that Mm -hmm. just became a fan favorite on its own, even you know, at the time, the record company wasn't pushing it as a single, and they were actually fighting against it, and yet people just made it into their favorite kind of song. But I also point a lot to Fade Away because it was our first song out, and it was the first video on MTV, and MTV played it pretty much. And so for the, a lot of the world, that was their first very introduction to us so kurt newman of the bodines i'm bill curtis and i'm walter jacobson and we're listening to the dave plyer show on 720 wgn and i suggest you do too all right it's really the bob surratt show dave plyer filling in every year on my show i share my conversations uh, my favorite conversations of the year and this week we shared conversations with henry winkler nikki glazier and mike rowe which you can find at wgnradio.com and today it's bill curtis and walter jacobson who celebrated 50 years earlier this year since they were paired at the news desk on the 10 o'clock news here's original anchormen bill curtis and walter jacobson And to celebrate this milestone anniversary, Bill and Walter join me in studio. Welcome in, gentlemen. Same to you, David. Thank you, David. Nice to have us here. Oh, it's great to see you both together. Well, it was five decades ago since you both were paired together on what was the most successful local evening news broadcast in television history. It must feel pretty cool. It does. I wish we could start it all over again. (laughs) It's something we wanted to do after we stopped to do it again. And we did that. You know, we came back to WBBM just to try it out for a couple of days. A couple of days. You know, that night, that Friday night that you came back to fill in for Rob Johnson, I was a big dork, and I literally stayed home that night. I didn't even want to DVR it. I wanted to see it live, seeing you two behind the anchor desk again. That's how iconic you guys are. Well, and it was fun. That had not changed. I mean, Walter and I slipped right in from the first word, uh, just like uh, we had been. But everything else had changed. Yeah, I bet. And uh, so uh, after the two years, um, I think you would go back to work uh, then because you really enjoyed it. Uh, I'd probably go on. I mean, nobody could even touch you guys. And even as a kid, I knew how big this broadcast was. And... I know you both started working at BBM in the 1960s, but you both came from very different backgrounds. Bill, at at 16, you began as an announcer on KIND in Independence, Kansas. It's the classic story, 250 watts, a little town (laughs) of 10,000 people. It's the only radio station in town and probably the best experience I've ever had. And at such a young age, what drove you into broadcasting at 16 years old? A deep voice. A deep voice. So you Uh, had that legendary voice back then. then. Now, that's something I didn't know about. You were aware of a deep voice back then. Yeah, even then. And I thought, I think I can slip into this, and uh, I would like to do it. And I, I think I did for about three years before going to college. Maybe that's what had something to do with how we worked so well together. That because maybe. we were just so totally different. Yeah, that's I always true. considered myself a very squeaky voice. And when people stop me on the street and say, I remember you, and I remember your voice, I say, no, you remember those tentorian tones that came <laughs> from Bill Curtis. <laughs> I, I was—I didn't belong in the 
business. Oh no, no, not at all. But I mean, but again, so different backgrounds. And and did you know that that voice was powerful enough for radio, or did someone say to you, Bill, you know, you should really consider this? Well, both. But um, I, I kind of do it. And what I will claim is that from that early, because this is a good lesson for uh, young people, from that early time, I had a vision. And the vision was to stay in broadcasting, may, may have been television, radio, uh, the variety of uh, jobs that were there. Uh, but this was it. Now, I also felt uh, through high school and uh, some college that it wasn't serious enough. It came so easy that maybe... I needed something else. So I went on to law school. You did. You did. I was going to say, your degree in journalism, uh, your law degree, and then uh, and then you went to Topeka, and um, you were on the air for over 24 hours covering a tornado there. It is considered in Topeka and Kansas my big break. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess it was, because after that, uh, and being the only television station in town, 70% of the wow. television audience was watching us, and um, I happened to be the guy on the air. Um, there was a great team, you know, local, beyond local, um, and, but really part of the community. And as a matter of fact, uh, a year ago, why they held a, a sort of a memorial service uh, and asked me to come back. Oh, and, that's and cool. To say thanks. 700 people showed up. Wow. Everybody who had had that experience. But in three months, I had sent my tapes out, and uh, John Madigan from WBBM TV uh, hired me uh, in, right into the newsroom as a reporter. How, is it, how exciting! Was that for you? Well, it was a big city. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was married, had a six-month-old, and uh, so I had to get used to the city coming from. Sure. I mean, the capital of the state was 150,000, uh, so Chicago was really something. But I was uh, ready to learn, and, uh, you know, you, you wrote, uh, there was a structure uh, that you slipped into. We were using film and uh, I had not worked that much with film and processing and editing and unions. It's a lot to learn right off the a bat. A lot, yep. yeah. Now, Walter, you were born here in Chicago, and your journey to the newsroom started as a bat boy for the Chicago Cubs, <laughs> right? Hardly got me into a newsroom. But that's what's remembered about me. That is. That is. Curtis in a tornado, Walter in the dugout. <laughs> in the dugout, I like that. I like that. And you went on to get your degree in political science, a master's in journalism. Pretty deadly combination for you, because, I mean, that set the pace. I, ne I never really knew much or cared much about the techniques of television. I was kind of the reporter with a pencil and a pad and, and just focused on that. I'm still very weak in that regard. I don't know these latest developments. That was his expertise. So I'm, I'm very interested in hearing you just say that, Bill, that you got into this at that time television and radio level. I got into it on the wire services and the right. City News Bureau. Yeah, the and, City News Bureau was your big break. Right, and a couple of Chicago newspapers. I I was just reporting. Yeah. I was not performing and didn't know much about performing. I would try to discourage the two guys who came in from New York to hire us or to put together a whole new show. I told them, you know, this, this isn't my bag. They kind of liked my combativeness. Yeah. They, they were smart enough. 
I, uh, the history of two major players at CBS in New York sent to Chicago to dig the CBS local station, Channel 2, out of the depths. And somehow they got this idea to put together two very different guys and didn't expect it to work. It was a gamble because the CBS ratings were just so bad. Anything might make them better. <laughs> but but you were reporting at the time. Were you doing perspectives before you were anchoring? Were you going on the air already or were you more behind the scenes? Oh, all behind the scenes. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was, no, I was on camera reporter, yeah, but I was yeah. a city hall reporter. So sure. I stood in front of the uh, mayor's office when he held a news conference and when he finished then I put on my kind of smart ass attitude <laughs> and said, you know, this is what he said but here's what he really yes, meant. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But this is uh, good for young people, too. He had mentors, Jack Mabley. Jack Mabley, Did yeah. Did you work for Royco? Uh, were you a leg man for Royco, Mike Royco? Yeah, what about him? I worked with him. Yeah, with him. I, w- I, worked, uh, I was on the Chicago's American. He was on the Daily News. But we were assigned to the same beat yep. at, at uh, the Cook County office building. And uh, City News. Uh, so he was really in... In the news-gathering part, the core of journalism in the city. So did you both think your pairing back in 1973 was going to work, given how different you both were? Or did you think out of the box that you would complement each other? Let's reveal something here. You were much less confident than I was, and I was not confident at all that it would work because you saw me as a troublemaker, a big city, <laughs> a big city guy who wouldn't keep his nose out of government and politics, whereas he was a, a, a rural. Exactly. Fair to call you rural? absolutely yeah. from Kansas. Everything, everything was very just straight, except black the and establishment. White. And, yeah. and and look at the yeah. time. I must have driven you crazy. Crazy. No. <laughs> when, when you would read a story no. and I was sitting next to you and I'd make some remark about it, I could just see him going, oh, my God, Walter, stop it. Stop it. No, I learned how to be a good husband, which is to listen but not yeah. That's intrude. That's a smart move. I like that. Uh, I like at which that. it turned out to be the perfect combination. It absolutely He was the did. inside guy. I was the outside guy. I came from three years with CBS News as a correspondent, so I liked to travel and, yeah. and be on the street all the time. And I would come in sort of like, uh, honey, I'm home, uh, you know, in the evening, uh, ready to do my thing. And Walter had been working at home uh, gotcha. and, yeah. and working all day on a sure. perspective. Sure. And you put those things together, and it was fresh and our conversations were fresh. You do your thing, I did mine. So it turned out to be this genius chemistry. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, when something works, everybody's a genius. So uh, the general manager, Bob Wessler, Van Gordon Sauter, the news director, uh, took it, and they deserve credit. And all of a sudden, you know, we're hot. You are hot. They had trouble with me in the beginning because CBS had a very firm policy that anchors are not to be commentators. The, oh, and that's the who you wall were. was between them. Yeah. And I had gone over to... Way beyond. I was fired by Channel 2 for being too controversial, and I went to Channel 5. And then I came back when we came back together. That was right. in 1973. Right. But I would not come unless I were... 
able to continue my commentary. So I was going to ask that. So that's what wooed you back, is you got to have well, that creative I, control over your... Well, I, you know, I knew about his reputation. He was on yeah. his way to major CBS things, and I was very, you know, interested in being with him. And I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do the best, which was the commentary, much better than reading the news as an anchor. And... And I said I just couldn't come. I couldn't leave Channel 5 in order to come back here to just be anchor. I said, you'd make a bad mistake. This is a very, very conservative in many ways town. This is a uh, an Irish Catholic town. Mm-hmm. All those so anchors true. from John Drury on yeah. down. What are you going to do with this little Jewish kid who doesn't, <laughs> just doesn't belong? Yeah. And you, you tell us now, you must have felt. This is a mistake. <laughs> well, you didn't come here thinking that we were going exactly to we didn't, right. we were not going to be co-anchors. Yeah. I was going to do the commentary and you were going to do the anchoring. Yeah, Why right. they decided I should do the anchoring too, I don't know, do you? Uh, no, I, I don't. But, but it was brilliant. To, you were ready to turn around and go back to California. Well, that not would have been a big that. leap, uh, but I thought about that. Uh, I really did. It, it was a little bait and switch yeah. is what it was. Sure. But they got over the problems with Walter's uh, opinion by labeling it. This okay. is an opinion. Yeah. And, and telling and people, people directly that, that this was this and, wasn't. And then what was different is that he was able to anchor with me uh, for the rest of the newscast. That was a breakthrough. It was a breakthrough. Who preceded you I both? Actually, got, actually left the anchor set and came back to the newsroom in time to do the commentary, took off my jacket at which time right. I had More casual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you did. And I did the commentary and then went, went directly to a commercial. You know, that's very interesting. Today, there's no line, no wall between commentary and news. Well, you can catch Bill Curtis on Cold Case Files on A&E and AETV.com. A new season of American Greed is on Tuesdays at 9 on CNBC. And Walter's Perspective can be heard on The John Williams Show every Thursday right here on WGN Radio. Congratulations, guys, on your 50th anniversary. And it's always an honor spending time with you both. Thank you, David.